So my name is Dwight. I am one of the pastors here, and this is this is a funny a funny uh, Sunday every year. Um, when we first started the church, I remember that we like officially launched, and it was really great. We had about you know forty or fifty people who were part of the church at that time, and then this service came right around Christmas. And I think it was uh, my family, which we were three or four at the time, pretty sure. Yeah, three or four, and then the Stegners, and then one other family. And it was like, we could have just done this at my house, around the tree or something. Like, it would have been uh, a lot more fun, and we all could have eaten, but instead we're in this cold, sterile environment. So, uh, and I think I preached and played guitar that day. It was, it was really epic. It was amazing. A day to remember forever. But uh, usually... There's a decent amount of people here, so we have around 200 people that come. If you're visiting, uh, usually, uh, I'm up there, and we do uh, the thing up there, and there's a little space for people to walk through here. So if you need to walk through today, please feel free to go down around there. No one will shun you or shame you or make fun of you or anything, at least not until you leave the room. And uh, no, not at all. But um, but. It's kind of weird service, but it's also really great. So it's weird because everyone leaves Montreal. It's like they're done. They check out. They go and do Christmas somewhere else, and that's wonderful for them. But it's also very special because there are just a few of us here. And uh, it seems like when we, when we read through Scripture, and especially the, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, that Jesus isn't interested in just being in places where hordes of people are. Where there's throngs and thousands upon thousands of people, and that's where he comes. No, he comes in very humble ways. And he comes where there's a few people. The first people to arrive at the scene of Jesus' birth were shepherds. Lowly shepherds out watching their flocks. That was who Jesus seemed to want to display himself to first. So I have lots of hope for this service as well. Though there aren't many people, and though our singing isn't as loud and, as, and robust... We know that, that, that God is here with us. Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And you might be here today, and you might not believe in the Bible. You might not believe in God. You might not believe in Jesus. And I would just say, uh, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, would you stick with us throughout this morning? Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Jesus, not so much about the Christmas story per se. But we're going to talk a lot about Jesus. We're going to be finishing up our series in the book of Micah. Micah is a, a prophet about 700 years before Jesus who says stuff about Jesus, right? Someone that is predicting things that are going to happen 700 years from when he was speaking. It's pretty, it's pretty epic. So we're finishing up our sermon there. We, we preach from the Bible, and we like to go through books of the Bible because it's so easy to just make up things. It's so easy to make up what we want to believe and try and convince people by using a verse or two that these things might be true. But when we go through verses in the Bible, we're forced to go through things that maybe we try and get around. And so we like to actually hear what God has to say. So let me, let me do this. Let me pray, and then we'll get going. And I'll put all of the verses and everything up on the screen here for you. So if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. But as you leave today, please grab one and take one. It's not stealing if you grab a Bible. Okay? Let me pray. God, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are the Emmanuel. Thank you that you love this world so much that you would enter into it. Full of trouble, full of distress, full of darkness. You, you didn't bat an eye. You came into it knowing what you were stepping into. You weren't naive. You weren't a victim. 
you were intentionally moving toward us because you knew that we needed you. Thank you for not staying away because you didn't want to offend us. Thank you for coming, Jesus, in such a, a humble way. And would you, Spirit of God, speak to us this morning? So we, we love you and we need you for everything. Amen. So have you ever had life not go your way? Do you remember back to being a child at Christmas, right? I remember opening up presents and I'm like, socks? <laughs> and we wouldn't open up my grandparents' gifts with my grandparents there because my parents knew these reactions were coming. Because my parents wanted to buy us the good gifts and they gave my grandparents the, like, the underwear and pajamas and those things. And I'm like, why didn't we even open this? Why didn't she just put it on her bed? Like, this wasn't fun. I remember clothes being such a letdown as a child, but that's small. That's small, right? Remember as a child, these things were let down. But as you grow up, the letdowns get bigger and bigger and bigger. The job that you wanted to get or keep, you don't have anymore. The relationship you wish you had or did have and couldn't keep, it eluded you. The sickness that you just can't seem to scrub away. The money that you can't seem to earn enough of or keep in your account. The missed opportunities. It feels often like life doesn't go our way, doesn't it? seems like most of us shouldn't be going to Vegas and going all in and doubling down on things because it just doesn't seem like life is all that fair. Uh, my family, we're just coming out of three weeks of a lot of stuff happening from sickness to uh, $16,000 roofs leaking to like just all kinds of stuff. And that's just the, the, the topping of it, right? So this sermon comes out of, of real life, out of feeling some of the weight of Lord, why doesn't life go our way? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And I'll tell you one of those stories as we get into things this morning. But holidays, Christmas, New Year's, birthdays, whatever. Holidays seem to amplify the feelings of life not going our way. It's when we remember the things that we often don't have, not necessarily the things that we do have. Now, some of the circumstances that you find yourself in that we find ourselves in, we just can't control. Can't control weather. You can't control uh, whether a, a boss enjoys you or not. You can't control whether someone's still alive or not. Some things are just out of our control, but some things are our fault. Some circumstances that we find ourselves in when life isn't going away, it's because of us. It's because of things that we did. And those are the most frustrating, aren't they? When you have to sit with the realization that something happened and it's your fault. Now, you can blame someone else. You can try and skirt around the reality. But the truth is, is that it's our fault. And this is what we're going to see this morning in Micah. See, Micah is a book of judgment. Prophecies of judgment. Things that are going to come to pass on the people of God. The book of Micah isn't for the whole world. It's for the people of God at this time. Around 700 BC. The people of God were going to experience in a massive way life not going as they wanted. And you know what? It's all their fault. It's their fault. Micah brings a warning to them Hey, this thing's gonna happen. You guys are gonna go into exile. You guys are gonna be pulled out of your land. You're gonna lose everything. And they just didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. They believed their circumstances. They believed what was right in front of them. It was an affluent society. Families were good. 
Uh, sports teams were good. Everyone was winning. Uh, stock market was going really well at that time, right? Cattle are in the barn. Everything seems like it's going just so well. But the stock market of God was about to crash upon them. They were about to go into exile. And here's what exile means. Nothing going your way. If you're dragged into exile, it means that you lose everything. And I don't think we really understand that reality. So let me illustrate it with a story in, in the Bible, a story of Job. You might have read J-O-B and, and thought like Kanye West, Job. Who puts Job in the Bible? But you pronounce it Job. I don't know why. We just do. Um, so Job, here's his story. Imagine this. Imagine waking up Christmas morning, because this is almost exactly the way it happened. Getting four successive phone calls. First one, from Jimmy, right? You're enjoying your morning coffee. Your wife and Jimmy calls. and like, hey, Jimmy, what's up, man? He's like, hey, just letting you know, um, this is really hard to tell you today, but I have to tell you, uh, the office burned down, all our tools gone, we didn't have insurance, that policy lapsed, really sorry to tell you this today, I just didn't want you to bother coming in tomorrow. It's like, ah, crap. All right, office done, tools gone, I don't know, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we'll figure it out. Then Jack calls, or Jacques, however you want to say it, right? He calls, and it's like, hey, uh, how's it going, Job? Just letting you know, I know this is probably a bad day to call you, but all the money that we had in the account, uh, all the investments, everything, uh, that's been stolen. And by the way, we forgot to get the insurance policy, so we're not going to be able to get that back. So all your savings, all your investments, all your money for food, tomorrow, uh, it's gone. It's like, oh, dang it. Okay. Well, at least I can go for a drive. Uh, hey, Joe, by the way, all your vehicles were burned last night. Insurance policy is not intact. At least I have my family. Hey, Joe, all your kids died this morning. The roof collapsed. That's actually the story of Joe. Losing everything in a moment. This is what it feels like to go into exile. You lose everything. A nation comes in, pillages you, puts a rope around your neck, and drags you away. And you say, what about my kids? Like, those are our kids now. They're no longer yours. What about my wife? Those are, she'll be someone else's wife. She's not your wife. What about my house? My safe? It's gone. This is what it means to go into exile. This is what the people of God were going to go into. Now, we're going to take a step back because most likely, no one's going to do that to us in our life. All right? Most likely. That darkness that I just spoke about probably won't happen. And I say probably because I know some of your stories. And some of them are similar to that. They're tragic. But at this level, it probably won't happen to you. Now, you might lose your job. Finances might be tight. You might have car trouble. Someone that you love might die. Okay, these things will happen at some point. And we're just going to call this darkness. We're going to call this darkness. So the question this morning is, is this. What is your inner monologue when things don't go your way? What's, your, what's the conversation you're having with yourself in your mind and in your heart when things don't go your way? Now, if you experience a traumatic situation, usually it's shock. When people are in shock, they're irrational. Because they can't believe it. 
Imagine Job losing all of those things right in a row. That's when shock would come over someone. That's when you become irrational. But then soon that shock dissipates. It goes away. And then you begin to feel the darkness. Then you begin to feel that that person's not coming back. That that job's not coming back. That you're not getting that money back. And that has ramifications on what you are going to do in the future. You begin to feel the darkness. And then that darkness doesn't seem like it's going to be lit. You look for the light at the end of the tunnel, but it just seems like it gets darker and darker and darker. And I know that some of you are walking through this right now. At this time, your spiritual taste buds feel like they're changing. God, who a few weeks ago you were lifting your hands to and so excited to get up in the morning and talk to and pray with and read about, it seems like the desire you have for him is gone. It's fleeting. And any desire you do have for him feels like you're really fighting for it. It's not coming naturally. And maybe you might feel in those moments or hear. And hearing is important. We're going to be doing a sermon series um, in January called Paranormal. Where we're going to talk about suffering, Satan, demons, ghosts. We're going to talk about a whole host of these things. Because there's a spiritual realm that's real. And especially in times of darkness like this that we would be experiencing, we're going to hear voices. And they're not just going to come from you or someone around you. They're going to come from some spiritual being. And you might hear things like, God doesn't work. God doesn't work. Or God doesn't love you. Or look at you. You tried being a good Christian, but this stuff happened to you because of you, and there's no way that God would ever want anything to do with you ever again. If God were so good, then why would he let these things happen? If God were so good, why would the money be gone? Why would the job be gone? That was a missional opportunity you had. God's not really that good. You can't trust him anymore. You see, Micah knew that we would feel this, but Micah knew that his people at this time were going to feel this as well. And what Micah does in these few verses is he prepares us for darkness. He prepares us for darkness. If you're going to enter into the military, what do you do? You go to boot camp. You get prepared for war. If you're going to work at a job, what do you do? Usually there's a training period. You get prepared to deal with customers at Christmas time. Right? Which is not in and of itself. Um, but we, Micah's preparing us for things not to go our way. Many of us don't prepare for that. We're just excited when things are good. And then when darkness hits us, we have all these questions that we're not actually equipped to answer. And so Micah's going to teach us a song today. Micah's going to teach us a song. And here's the, the emphasis of the song is that you don't invent new truth in darkness that was not true in the light. Do you get that? When you're experiencing horrible times, you don't invent new truths that weren't true in the light. I don't know if you have kids. You probably know of a child. I can introduce you to a few later if you've never met one. Uh, But here's what my kids do. Right? Playing in their room, everything's good, wonderful. It's like, bedtime, kids. They're like, yay. They don't ever say that, right? But let's pretend they did. Yay. All right. Get them in bed, shut off the lights. Ten minutes later, get called back in. What's going on? There's a monster in my closet. 
I'm like, there's a monster in your closet. Like, how did the monster, I was right outside. How did I get there? I don't know how I got there, but it's in the closet. Oh, okay. Like, you were just literally playing in the closet. You were playing monster in the closet. How is there a monster now in the closet? Like, I don't know, but it's in there. So on my most wonderful patient times, I talked through it, everything. In my most frustrated moments, we used to live in a place we had three floors. Uh, I would walk them through the whole house, like with the hand. It's like, let's go all the way down. Let's go to the bottom floor door. Did, did anything get through here? Like, no. Okay, windows, check that. Did anything get through? Like, and we go through the whole place, right? And that's just like, I don't want to hear it again tonight. Usually I do. But this is what they do. In the light, the kids are really good. Everything's wonderful, all good. It gets dark, and they invent things. And we never grow out of that. This is what we do. We get into dark situations, and things that we knew about in the light, we doubt them, and we let go of them, and we create new truths for the dark. This is our propensity to do. But here's what needs to happen. You need seemingly unseeable truth. Hear that again. You need seemingly unseeable truth to erupt in the darkness. When you're walking through dark times, you need this truth to erupt like a volcano all over the place. So let me teach you the song of of Micah. Now, this isn't an actual song. Uh, There is a psalm in the first four verses, so 7 to 10. And then at the end... It's turned into a hymn, okay? But it's not like a song that Mike is singing and really teaching people. But these are the truths that we need to be taught and be preaching and and beating into our hearts, especially in moments of darkness. So here we go, Micah 7, verse 7. As for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Here's the first line of this song. I will look to the Lord and wait. I will look to the Lord and wait. This sounds so easy, but this is ridiculously hard. Quasi-impossible realm we're walking into at this point. Because when things don't go our way, what do we do? If you're in pain, what do you do? I guess we do nothing. But um, it's okay to talk to me this morning. Like, there's no one really here. Like, it's just us, all right? Little, we're, we're hanging out. Like, I can come in here. I can talk like this if you want. I'm getting into this part. But when things are painful, what do we do? We cry. We cry. We drink. Yep. Gatorade, of course. The only thing in Gatorade. Uh, that's how you get rid of the flu. Uh, we're buying stock in Gatorade this winter just because of our house. Like, if you want in, it's going to be great. We want to remove the pain, don't we? We just want to get rid of it. We want to make our circumstances better. So this first line is so hard. In darkness, I'll look to the Lord and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. That what the Lord wants for us to do is to stare at him in our most fearful times. Uh, Recently, I was in Saskatchewan two weeks ago. Uh, preaching, training, all kinds of stuff. And uh, just before I was about to uh, have a 45-minute supper with a friend in between training sessions, uh, my wife calls me and actually FaceTimes me, I think, and uh, shows me Stella, who's my three-year-old daughter. Well, she fell off the couch and hit her ear right here on the edge of our metal coffee table. And so it sliced it like this was just in two. 
right? So I get this little picture of my daughter crying, screaming, lots of blood, everything. And so Jess is like, what do I do? And she knew what she had to do. But it was like walking her through this reality. So she took Stella to the emergency room. And, you know, by the grace of God, it didn't go too deep, too far up. So they were actually able to glue it. But what that meant was that Stella, three-year-old Stella, had to sit still. Now, three-year-olds sitting still in and of themselves, never mind like a raggly ear uh, that we're going to somehow glue together, uh, it just doesn't happen, right? So Jess is trying to hold on to her. She wouldn't, she wouldn't sit still. So the doctor actually brought in probably like a Brian Alton type guy uh, to come in, sit down. And Stella was not his biggest fan, for sure. Picks her up, puts her on his lap, and he restrains her. And he takes her head and puts it against him so she can't move at all. And Stella's, you know, losing her mind, freaking out, crying, all of that. She's restrained. She's waiting. She's not calm. She's in a bad circumstance. For a three-year-old, this is darkness. But do you know where her eyes were? On Jess. Locked on Jess. Her eyes were not moving. Anywhere Jess would go, I am convinced Stella would have like pinched that larger man, got him to move wherever she wanted him to go because her eyes were not going to be moved off of Jess. This is what we're to do. We might be losing our minds. We might be restraining ourselves from doing crazy things in dark times, but our eyes are going to be fixed on him. We're refusing to move away from him, even though we feel like it. Even though we feel like ripping our head away, even though we don't care that our ears going to bleed out, we just want to run from God. But our song is, no, I will look at him and I am going to wait. We sing this song, uh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. I wasn't even ready to sing it, so if that was on key, like great. Um, but we sing it, and it's kind of a happy song. And we take it from the Psalms, and the psalmist wasn't in a happy place when he wrote that. This was him screaming. So if you think that like screamo, death metal is not Christian, it is because it's in the Psalms. This would have been the psalmist screaming at himself. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, because I don't want to bless him. What I'm going through is so hard, painful. I don't want to bless him, but I'm going to. My eyes are fixed on him. This is what authentic faith looks like. Authentic faith is not walking around with a perma-smile all the time. Authentic faith is saying, life sucks right now. Life is draining me. I am not getting much joy out of my circumstances, but I am holding on with everything I can to Jesus. Because he's all I have. You've probably heard the analogy of a, a, a ship in a harbor connected to an anchor and a buoy. And that storm comes in. Now, if the ship says, I need to get to land, and it tries to go to land, that ship will be destroyed. Though that's what should be in the logical mind, is go to land, be safe. Instead, they anchor down. They tie themselves up to something in the middle of the storm. Why? Because that anchor is going to save them. Even though it doesn't seem like it. Even though the ship is going crazy. They're having to tie themselves down. This is what authentic faith is. It's not pretending that everything's okay. It's being bold enough to say, no, things aren't okay, but I know who my anchor is. 
And I'm refusing to move away from him no matter how dark things look. And they could get darker and darker and darker. And they might stay dark until you see him face to face. But here's here's my plea with you. Is that during dark times, you don't stop reading the Bible. You don't stop hearing from him. You don't stop praying. You don't stop leaning into the one who can give you life. You don't stop fasting. Maybe some of you don't fast at all, but I, I would encourage you in times of darkness to fast. To ask him when you feel hunger. Say, Lord, I want to hunger for you that's more than this. I want to be reminded that you're not leaving me. Don't stop being in community. So many people pull away from community, but in times of darkness, you need community more than ever. Don't stop begging the Lord to even change your circumstances. See, God is a God who always does what is best. And everything you're experiencing right now, whether you have a good Christmas, horrible Christmas, it's, it's temporary. It's temporary. And it's hard for us to remember that. But when our eyes are fixed on him, we're reminded that he is the one that everything is all about. So line number one of this song, I will look to the Lord and wait. Imagine that. You're going into exile. Here's the first line in your song. I will look to the Lord and wait. As you're losing everything, don't take your eyes off of him. The second line of the song is found in verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. So what Micah is saying is we've sinned. We'll talk about that in a second. We, we've sinned and we deserve actually what we're going to go into. But we know that you, God, are such a great judge that you're going to come and you're going to vindicate us. Not because of what we've done, but because of who you are. That you're going to make all things right. But line number two has to be this. So first, I will look to the Lord and wait. And secondly, in darkness and in exile, I remember and I won't forget. See, here's the reality. You should not have a relationship with God. Do you understand that? That you should not have a relationship with God. You shouldn't be able to. So you and I are not perfect, right? If that's your seasons, tidings, whatever, like, there you go. You're not perfect. You're a sinner. Here's what sin means. That sin is an archer's term. It's like there's a bullseye down there. You're the archer. Up, oh, missed it. Up, oh, sinner. So God has placed this, this bullseye perfection. And you and I have not hit it. You've done things that you shouldn't have done. You haven't done things that you should have done. You've thought things you shouldn't have thought. You've had horrific thoughts, right? If we all put our thought life out on paper, uh, we would be extremely embarrassed. The reality is that we all kind of think the same way. That we, we're, we're full of sin. Now that might not feel good, but a lot of times if, if we want to be realist, we have to deal with things that don't feel good. And until we're, we come to grips with not feeling good about this, we can't actually hear the good news that's going to come. So we shouldn't have a relationship with God. God is perfect. We're not. It means like two different countries. Big wall that goes up. You can't climb over. It's impossible. 
God is holy and perfect. We are not. But here's what he does. God loves us. Remember, bad thought. Never doing what we're supposed to do. Always doing the bad thing. God still loves us. That he comes to us. He comes to us. This is why we celebrate Christmas. That God came. The incarnation we'll talk about in a little bit. He came. See, we should have to bear the eternal penalty. We should have to be separated from God forever. It should always, Think about Narnia. It should always be winter for us. Papa Noel should never come. The white witch should always rule and reign. And we should never have Turkish delights. Right? Like, none of that. And this is what we should be in forever. Pain, suffering, separation from the one that we know is good. The one that we were made by and made for. We should have to suffer that. But the good news is Christmas. The good news is Christmas. We celebrate Jesus' coming on Christmas, but the really good news is on Easter, that the one who comes is the one who conquers death. We'll talk about that in a minute too. And because of what Jesus has done, now every day is like Christmas. Every day is stockings full of grace and mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And I don't mean like you deserve a raise. It's like you deserve hell. And you don't get that. You deserve pretend Turkish delights forever. You get real ones. You're brought into the family of God because of what Jesus has done. This is grace. Let me remind you of a few things real quick. New Testament, Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. This is... This is what we have to celebrate. This is the one that we have to remember. And look at what Jesus did. Ephesians 2, 4-6. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, our sin. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now if you're an English teacher... All right, these verses don't stick well with you because you're like, are we talking about the past, present, future? And you're like, yes, we are. Somehow, right now, at this moment, while we're here, we're also seated with Christ in the heavenly places. How? I don't know. This whole portal thing must be real somehow. I don't, I don't get it completely. But God created time. So God exists out of time, yet works in time. This is a good news for us. Let me keep going. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I, I make like horrific threats to my kids all the time, right? This, this is what I'm trying to win over Father Year 2019. But it's like, if you do this, like good thing, then I'll give you this. So basically, I'm a father who does the opposite of this verse. Because what God says is, when you were the worst kid in the world, I came for you. I'm like, if you're not the best kid you've ever been, you're not getting dessert tonight, right? Those are the threats we throw out there. Um, God does the opposite. God says, while you were still sinners, I came for you. While you were imperfect, I came for you. There's grace. Remember this. 
in your darkness. Remember that it was in your darkness that God came for you. He didn't wait till you saw the light. He came and he showed you the light. Galatians 4, 4 to 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, okay, and you might be like, why doesn't he say daughters here? Well, because daughters in, in first century, century, I'm making up words again. In the first century, uh, daughters were nothing legally. You didn't listen to a woman as a witness. They didn't get any inheritance, nothing. So what Paul is saying, not just the sons, he's saying, you're all like sons. In Christ, you all get an inheritance. Because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. In darkness, you don't believe this. This is where you need to preach to your heart that I am a child of God. I am. I remember. And, and I'm not going to forget who I am. Like tattoo it. Put it on over your eyes. Get glasses that have this written in. Post it all through your house. I don't know what you need to do, but fight to remember what is true in these moments of darkness. So the third line that we're going to need to remember comes from Micah 7, 9, which we already read, and 16 and 17. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn and dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. This is God fighting for his people. He's going to go back into the nations that ripped his people and brought them into exile. And God's going to go back in and rescue them all. So here's the third line of this song. That God will make all things right for his people. God will make all things right for his people. Have you ever experienced injustice? I'm sure every single one of us in this room has experienced some form of injustice this week. Maybe you've been the one pushing injustice against other people. But there's good news. If you've experienced injustice, there's good news. For people in exile, it's good news. For us, as people who experience injustice, there's good news. Because there's a real judge that's coming. And he is going to make everything right for his people. You see, Jesus came as a baby. Jesus came very humbly. But when Jesus comes back, the last book in the Bible, Revelation 19, talks about Jesus coming as a warrior. He has tattoos on his leg. He has a robe that's been dipped in blood. He's on the, the, the front horse. There's an army behind him, but the army's not really needed. It's just for show. And the imagery is that his eyes are on fire, which means that he sees justice perfectly. And that there's a sword that's coming out of his mouth. It's not like Jesus got his, his tongue replaced with a sword or something. It's that he's going to inflict justice in that moment. We have a God that's going to come and fight for us. You don't need to fight your battles. He's going to fight for you. He's going to make all things right. Look at the hope that's offered out 
to the people going into exile in verse 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Do you realize the depth of this promise for people being sent into exile? When you're beaten down and kicked down, you'll rise up. Maybe not physically, but there's something coming. There's a day where no longer will I be kicked. There's a day that though I I don't see the light necessarily, I know that light is coming. There's hope. Hear this. Falling in darkness. Don't get the final word. Whatever darkness you're experiencing, it doesn't have the final word. I think it's a Jesus Storybook Bible we read to our kids a lot. It's that every sad thing is going to come untrue. Do you realize that? Every sad thing one day is going to become untrue. It's going to be removed. God is going to wipe away your final tear. Maybe even remove our tear ducts in that day. I don't know how it works. But he is going to make all things right for his people. Even though you don't feel it in darkness, this is what's most true. Don't create a lie in the darkness that doesn't say this. So, fourth thing. Verses 11 to 13. A day for the building of your walls. Now, they're going into exile. They're being sent out of the city. But the promise is that there's going to be a day for the building of your walls. Which means you're coming back. In that day, the boundaries shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria, the cities of Egypt, from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. This fourth thing is that God is making a place for us. He's making a place for me. You might not feel very desirable. You might not feel very lovely. You might not feel like anyone is pursuing you. But here's what's most true. God is pursuing you. God is after you. God desires you. God loves you. And here's the thing. We, we get people to love us because we pretend. Right? When, when I was dating Jess, I, I saw... She, oh, she's there. I thought you walked out of the room. I was going to make up stuff. Now I have to be honest about it. Uh, when I was dating Jess, I, I wanted her to see like the best me possible, which is why I dated her from long distance. Right? Uh, no. But I did. I wanted to put my best foot forward. I wanted for her to, to see what was best about me because I thought that if she really knows the deep, dark things about me, she would never want me. But here's what God does. He knows the deep, dark things about you, and he says, you're the apple of my eye. I love you. I'm, I'm crazy about you. I, I want to pursue you with steadfast love. And that he's making a place for you. There's, a, there's not just like a seat card for you to come in to his banquet, but like he's made up a room for you. There's a room in the house of God for you. Listen to these verses that Jesus said. John 14. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you will be also. Jesus' time, here's what would happen. There would be a, a betrothal marriage. 
So it's like, it wasn't real engagement. It was like, you're engaged and married all at once, but you didn't go away on the honeymoon. Instead, the husband went to work hard. The husband would go, he would leave the wife, he would go back, meaning leave her somewhere nice, probably, like in her house. He would go, and normally, he would add on to his father's house. He would build a room. Now, if I had to build onto our house, it'd be like, you know, a great barrier, like lock and key, everything. No, my parents are great. But, like, they would build onto that house. And then when that building was all done and there was a home, the husband would go to the bride. There would be a big celebration. And he would bring her back. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to come back. God one day is going to remake everything. All sin, all rebellion against him is going to be removed. Heaven and earth are going to come together. There's going to be a new earth where sin cannot exist. Injustice cannot exist. And where's your room? Connected to the Father's house. You have a place in the Father's world, in his kingdom. Jesus is going to come back for you. It's, it's helpful to think Jesus is going to come back for us, but he's going to come back for you individually as well. That's powerful, isn't it? This means that you're not forgotten. You might feel forgotten by everyone. You might not have gotten any Christmas cards. You might not receive a present this year. You might not get a bonus. You might not get a phone call. You might not get an invitation. But do you know who hasn't forgotten you? The only one that matters. It's hard in the darkness to not turn into a victim and be like, what was me? Because what's most true is that you are not forgotten. You are not alone. There's a God, one God, the only God, who's pursuing you and preparing a place for you to be with him so that you're never alone ever again. The fifth line comes from this. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things going into exile. But the promise is one day you're going to see marvelous things. I am not alone. This is the fifth line. I am not alone. We have a shepherd. We have a great shepherd. Jesus used that illustration of himself all the time. I am the great shepherd. This shepherd will not let you be alone. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he is there with you. Your darkest moments, the ones where you actually doubt his existence, he is there with you. And this is where you have to get loud in your preaching. Some of you are very passive. Well, that might be true. I don't know. Let me crochet that. Put away the crochet. Get in front of a mirror and get loud. I am not alone. I, I am not alone. Now, if you have neighbors, they might think you're nuts if, if they know you live alone. This is where you get to preach the gospel to them through the, through the little walls, right? I am not alone. I have a shepherd that knows me, cares about me, who will walk with me in the valley of the shadow of death. I can't rid myself of him. I try and run away. He leaves the 99 and he comes to find me. I am not alone because he won't let me be alone. And here's the thing that some of us need to hear. You are not unique. 
sure, like you might have a different hairstyle or a different facial hair. I wish you can pray for that. Someone can gift me that for Christmas. No, don't do that. You'll put your facial hair in a bag and send it to me. I don't. I give you all these weird ideas. Don't do that. So I'm trying to. I'll just throw it away with the Yankees gear that you thought about buying me too. But you're not unique. Others have gone through and are going through the same or similar things. The weird thing that we do is when we're going through moments of darkness, we turn inward and we shut ourselves inside. But it's the opposite. It should be that we're sharing this with other people. Asking people, have you gone through this? I'm experiencing this. What did you do? Guarantee, guarantee anything that you're going through, someone in this church has gone through it before. They might not be here this morning, but the church here, wherever they are, they've walked through it. There's help. God has given you people because you're not unique. You're not alone. He is with you, but the church is with you as well. And if you say, well, the church doesn't pursue me in my darkest moment. It's like, we're not mind readers. I've had people ask me that. I was going through a really hard time, dark time, uh, and you didn't come. Like, I've never been to your house before. Okay? That's true. You've never been. Okay? You didn't call me. Yeah, but I didn't come to Sunday two weeks in a row. It's like, do you know how many people don't come to Sunday two weeks in a row? Are you connected to one of our city groups? No. Okay. You've got to let us know. This is my plea with you. If you're going through darkness, you have to let us know. You can't sit inside your apartment or house and say, nobody cares about me. Call someone. Text someone. Email someone. I know it's hard to do in those moments too. But that's the only way that we can actually know. And we can help remind you that you're not alone. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Jesus is saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will never leave you. Do you know how many times I need this? I paraphrase it. Lord, I know you're not going to bail out on me. Right? That's the way that I'm talking to him. He's not going to forsake you. He was forsaken on the cross by the Father so that you never have to experience forsakenness. No matter how much you feel like you're forsaken, you haven't been. Don't invent things in the darkness that aren't true in the light. And the last, the last line of our song is found here. This is a doozy. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. You, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Abraham and Jacob just represent the people of God. Okay? So here's the last line of our song. That there's no one like our God. That there's no one like our God. The incarnation means that eternal God takes on flesh. Incarnation, carne, means meat. God takes on meat. Steps into a human body. But not only does he step into a human body, he steps into our troubles and our distress and our darkness. And as we've previously noted, 
Jesus lives. So, some of us have a, a weird idea of Jesus. That like he lived this stoic, disconnected life. He just kind of zoomed in for a teaching and zoomed back out. But like Jesus' brothers thought he was crazy. Jesus' mom thought that he was nuts. They tried to rescue him one day. He experienced familial rejection. You talk about holidays being weird. It's like, here comes that son of God again. You know, mom wasn't good enough for you. Also, Mary was a virgin. And no one believed, right? If anyone says, no, no, like, I'm a virgin. It's like, you're a liar. Like, that's what happens, right? So Mary was called a liar and a whore. So Jesus lived under that, like son of a bastard, right? This was Jesus's growing up. Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus lived every temptation that we have. And yet scripture tells us he did so without sin. He never thought an impure thought. And not culturally, like Jesus didn't sin culturally. He sinned culturally in a sense that he went against what the culture said was right and true because culture was sinning against who God was. So Jesus never sinned against God. But he disappointed the culture. But Jesus didn't come to please the culture. He came to please God for people in the culture. Jesus lives a real life and dies a real death. But his death was won for us in our place. And he rises to accomplish everything that we just read about in these verses. So let me list them off quickly. That God desires to show you steadfast love. You ever seen a picture of a, a little dog or a cat? Uh, it just sits up on someone's chest when they wake up. And they're all ready for you. They're so excited that you're awake. Not to diminish God at all. But God is, is like that in a sense. That God is ready for us to wake up. He's ready for us to, to wake up into his preparations for us for that day. He's ready for us to enjoy him. So when we get up and maybe you have your coffee and you're reading your Bible and praying, it's, it's like we're entering into the work that God has been doing all night long. He's been preparing it for us. And God has been patient and compassionate with you. In your darkness where you're doubting him, he's still patient with you. He has great compassion on you, so much so that he came as a child to die in your place and rise so that we could have hope. He went to the cross so that you could be forgiven. And not just that, but the verses prior tell us that our sin would be cast into the sea. This is like unfishable waters. So when you want to feel guilt and shame and you want to go back to the sins that you've already been forgiven for, God's like, what sins? It's like, yeah, you know the, the time I did that thing? He's like, oh, if you can go find that out there, I, I'll let you bring that up again. But you can't find that. It's already been dealt with. It's gone. Unfishable waters. The verse tells us that he will show faithfulness to his people. Even when you feel like darkness or life isn't going your way. God does not stop being faithful to you. So here's what we see at Christmas time. That the Spirit of God has armed and equipped you for darkness to come. Because darkness was looming. Darkness was permeating. Darkness was over the whole earth. And what happens? The light of the world comes into darkness. Born as a little baby. 
born to be sin, the friend of sinners. So that sinners could become forgiven, rescued, and brought into the family of God. So just because there's no presence under your tree or people at your table, it doesn't mean that God has cast you away. It's quite the opposite. Jesus came. He understands what you're going through. He is with you. He dwells in you. And there's no one like him. So at Christmas, Christmas, though we're not going into exile, we can sing this song. I will look to the Lord and wait. I remember and I won't forget. He will make things right for us. He is making a place for me. And I am not alone. And there is no one like our God. This is the good news for us at Christmas. Let, let me pray. Jesus, you have done all these things and you've done them perfectly. You, you came into our darkness, our, our brokenness, our confusion. You've brought forgiveness. You've brought presence of grace and mercy. You've brought us the promise that you will never leave us, forsake us. You have brought us uh, tidings, not just for the season now, but for every season. And you've armed and equipped us with your spirit for when we walk through seasons. And it might be the rest of our life where we just feel immense darkness. But our truth is that you are the light. You have not left us. You have not bailed out. And one day you're going to come back for us and you're going to make things all new. You're going to be the one to lean over and wipe away that final tear from our eye. Jesus, I can't wait to see you face to face. I can't wait to be caught up with you. Can't wait to, to see my room next to yours. And it's not because of anything I've done or we've done. It's because of what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for humbling yourself and coming to dwell in our midst. I want to pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, that today they would say, Jesus, I need you, that they would turn to you and that they would be forgiven, that they would be brought into your family and that this song would be true of them as well. I want to pray for those who are walking through this darkness that they would know that there is no one like you and that they are not alone. And we pray for this city, that this city would become a city of light, where people would, would be drawn to this city because they've heard of, of how present and active you are in this place. So we love you, God. We thank you for this opportunity to celebrate this morning, and we need you. Amen.